0: What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, as always, Jack Vita. We are back taping this on the first Monday of June 2023. It's the 5th of June, and uh, we're going to talk some ball today. We're going to talk some baseball. We're back from our episode just a few days ago with Manny Randawa at MLB.com. This is the third straight week with an MLB.com baseball writer joining us, and today We've got, uh, really, the, has anyone ever called you the godfather of prospect analysis? <laughs> no, no, they haven't, Jack. Um,
1: I, I actually think, like, the the guy who does that credit's probably the guy who hired me at Baseball America many years ago, Alan Simpson, but uh, I, I've never been called the godfather of, of prospect analysis. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just gave you that name right now, so hopefully it sticks. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, it's it's Jim Callis. He's the go-to guy as it relates to prospects, MLB draft, uh, used to be at Baseball America. As he mentioned, now he's at MLB.com. Chances are, you, if you're a baseball fan, you're looking at the top 100 prospects. He does most, if not all of that, fair to say?
1: Um. Well, I mean, I work with Jonathan Mayo and Sam Dykstra, so yeah. you got to get rid of what I do. I do a lot
0: of it. So. You do a lot of it. Uh, and yeah, those guys do a great job too. Um, but anyway, he's had a great career here in this industry for several years now, baseball America, now MLB.com. Jim, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. I enjoy it. So I got to ask you first and foremost, and I, I know a little bit of your backstory, but I'm sure the listeners would find it interesting. How did you end up just being this kind of go-to or one of the go-to guys as it relates to MLB draft, college baseball, and farm systems?
1: Yeah, you know, I, 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 I like to say I think I was kind of in the right place at the right time when I started off. I went to the University of Georgia, um, and worked for the school paper there, and the first year I covered the baseball team, we had two first-round picks and Derek Lohcliffe and Chris Carpenter, and we had a third guy I got to the big leagues and Steve Carter. Went to the College World Series for the first time in school history. I got to go as part of the school paper. So that was good timing. I've, I've just had good timing. So back then, this was so long ago, Jack, that was 1987 College World Series. There was no internet back then. That's how long ago we are talking. Nobody was podcasting or, you know, nobody had, you know, you couldn't just watch everything on your phone. It was like a totally different era. And, like, to be in sports journalism, essentially the path was you go work for whatever newspaper and pay your dues, you know, compiling agate, maybe covered high school football and basketball or whatever and hope to get a shot. And, um, I was fortunate, you know, baseball America was really the only place that was covering prospects when I started. They covered the draft. Nobody covered the draft. They covered college baseball. Collegiate baseball was around, but you know, nobody was covering the minor leagues. Nobody was covering that stuff. They were covering basically the guy who started the magazine in the early 80s, Alan Simpson, when the sport news went from being the bible of baseball to kind of covering the four major sports and covering less baseball and less deep alan missed all that stuff so he started baseball america in his garage in canada just because he loved that stuff and and so anyway i was reading baseball america um i think i started reading like 85 or 86 and just loved it and i wound up getting an internship there and probably then to a full-time job and it was great because you know, like I said back then, you know, if I'd gone and worked for a paper, you know, you would have been covering high school sports and, you know, typing up, you know, agate and pulling stuff off the wire. And instead, I was the, I guess I was the fourth full-time editorial person at Baseball America right at the time. We were pretty small. And I got to do everything because we were small. Like, I was immediately the number one college guy. I was covering the College World Series and the Pan American Games in Cuba and the Goodwill Games in Seattle and Tacoma. And going to the Olympics in Barcelona when I was 24 years old, and I was covering the minor leagues, and I was editing, you know, a lot of big-name baseball writers and assigning stories and assigning cover photos. Like, we did everything because you had to. There were only four of us full-time. So I, I did that, and I did that, and I was became managing editor, I think, in 1992, like, about after three years there of the magazine. And would have probably done that indefinitely, but, uh, you know, we, we're recording this. You're in Wilmette right now, right, I assume? Yep. Uh, I'm in Winnecke, Illinois, you know, town one over. Times <laughs> are going crazy. I guess we're separated by Kenilworth. But anyway, <laughs> my wife was from Winnetka. I hadn't met her yet, but she was going to graduate school at Duke. I met her, and she was eventually going to move back here. And we got married, had kids, and as you know, Chad, I mean, you're a product of the school system, as is my wife. It's a great school system up here. So we moved up here and we started having kids. And, again, this was so long ago that you couldn't really work remotely when we moved in 1997. Like, I guess at that point, we had, you know, the Internet, you know, at like 300 baud per second on AOL. And, uh, you know, we had some email. But, like, it really wasn't set up to work from work remotely. So I I came up here and I worked for Stats, Inc., which has kind of moved around, but it's based locally. And at that point, Stats, Inc. had a bunch of books and we did a bunch of writing and they they don't really do that anymore and then in 2000 baseball america got sold and kind of technology had changed and they asked if i wanted to come back and work from home work remotely and so i did that so i was back at baseball america for another 13 years and then uh you know talking about the godfather uh, mlb basically made me an offer that was impossible to refuse (laughs) to kind of do the same stuff um in 2013. So I kind of switched jobs in, but like, I, I don't know too many people like a, who, who probably have enjoyed their job as much as I have. Like I've been covering this stuff full time since December 88. And I honestly, have, outside of when I was at stats Inc and we were doing books and publications, I've kind of done the same thing. I mean, the job has changed in terms of you know what it entails, but I've been covering the same stuff mostly for 34 years. Um, and even when I have switched jobs, it's just been a new employer, not really, like, I had to learn, like, oh, we're doing different stuff. Um, so I've been pretty fortunate.
0: That's awesome. And it's, uh, you have a really cool story, really neat story. And, I mean, it's, it's always, people love hearing that. If someone who genuinely loves what they do, is passionate about what they do, how many people can actually say that? So my question to you is, before we kind of dive into some of the stuff going on around baseball right now, what what advice or what tips would you give to people obviously the times have changed quite a bit in the 34 years since you started we're in a different era we got a lot of other opportunities for people to create content and put it out there but what advice would you give to someone who's listening to this who's maybe getting ready to go to college and they they'd like to do something similar to what you do
1: yeah you touched on one things like like the one, I think the biggest difference is when i started you really didn't have that many opportunities to showcase what you could do. Like I wrote for the school paper, so I had some clips and we had I mean, I went to University of Georgia and it's like amazing to me how big the journalism school has gotten. I mean it was big then, but like student, you know, the campus TV station, the campus radio station, like when you're going to college you have to take advantage of those opportunities to show what you can do. But the nice thing is now, especially with like everybody's phone, like like if you want to be a writer you can blog, like you, you like you have an outlet. Back, you know, thirty years ago, you didn't necessarily have an outlet. Now, like, if you want to write about prospects, like say, like I do, you can do your own prospect reports and put them up on your own website. They're like that's easy to do. Like, like I mean, Jack, I mean, you are not talked. I mean, you have your own podcast that wasn't available thirty years ago. Like, like you weren't you know, like I guess you had the local radio station. You hoped to maybe get a little airtime. But even the same thing with like video, like, like you weren't getting TV time when you were in college necessarily, or if you were, it was a rare occasion. Now, I mean, we're recording, I'm recording this on my phone, not even my laptop. Like, you can record videos, you can interview people, you can do podcasts. So basically, the way you get better at any of that stuff is by doing it, whether it's writing, podcasting, video work. And because everybody can, like, you know, it, it's so easy to have your own website. You can post your work, whereas, you know, again, 30 years ago, you were hoping for opportunity to show what you can do. So that would be my biggest advice is do as much of that as you can. You know, if you're going, if if somebody's listening to this in college, you're going to college, whatever you want to do, avail yourself of that in college. Like I I know the Georgia experience and I've been back there a few times, but like, even if you wanted to go into advertising, like Georgia has its own student run ad agency that works with local, like merchants and local companies that can't afford like a big ad company. But like, I, I think now it's so much easier to To build a portfolio, so to speak, of what you want to do, and so I, I would just, you know, dive right in and start doing that stuff. And you know, I'm sure I wasn't writing prospect reports when I was in college. And I'm sure if I did, I went back and looked at it and I'd be like, oh man, like <laughs> I, 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 I I had a lot to learn. But like that's <laughs> how you learn is by doing it. And then you can show people, hey, this is some of the stuff I've done. You know, show them your best work, and and I think that that really gives people an opportunity. So that would be that would be my biggest advice is just immediately dive in and start doing stuff. Like if you know what you want to do or if you don't want to what you, you want to do, do a little bit of everything and see what you enjoy.
0: Yeah, that I think that's great. And I'd I'd also add the thing that's cool about podcasting too, is it gives you a chance to really network as an opportunity for uh hey, there's maybe there's a baseball writer or two, or maybe even a an athlete or in my case, a survivor contestant or whomever it is that you might be interested in talking to. And once you once you get a couple of notable people on your podcast, you're able to go and say, hey, I've had this person on, I've had this person on. You just reach out to people. Hey, you want to come on my podcast? That's been just an awesome opportunity for me to be able to build connections and, and to network over time, which has allowed me to kind of, I mean, obviously I'm still very early in my career, but it's, it's, it's advanced me in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I was going to say,
1: Jack, that, that's an excellent point because I think, too, like sometimes people might be reluctant to ask. Like, the worst thing you're going to ask, like using the podcast example, the worst thing going to happen if you're doing a podcast and you want to interview somebody, worst thing to do is say no. But I think, and you've probably found this, most people are going to say yes. Like, I've always looked at it, like, from, I mean, I've been doing this forever, but very early in my career at Baseball America, like, Alan Simpson just built a publication that was widely respected in baseball and I found even when I started there and I was twenty one nobody knew who I was. If I called and left a message and said, Hey Jim Cowles from baseball America, like John Sherholz would call me back. Like whoever in baseball would call me back because of that baseball America name. And I've always been very grateful. Like even today, I, I still am extremely grateful. You know, I've been doing this for three plus decades. When I do my draft stuff, I probably talk to I don't know, a couple dozen area scouts and a bunch of cross checkers and a bunch of scouting directors. And I still, even though I've been doing this forever I still am kind of amazed, like, hey, these guys will... Yeah, they're not necessarily saying, hey, here's our super top-secret information, but they'll talk players with me, and candidly. And, like, I appreciate that. And so it's kind of, to use a shape like paying it forward, like, I couldn't do my job without all the people help me. And, and so hopefully people are watching, so I won't get, like, 100 podcast requests. <laughs> but, like, I, I basically will, like, help anybody I can. You know, like, my time's getting a little crazy as we get closer to the draft, but in general... Like, I can't tell you how many college students I've done their podcast over the year or, you know, somebody's starting a fan site for a specific team. They want to talk about that. Like, I'm happy to do that. So, like, don't be afraid if when you're starting off to ask people because you might be surprised at how many people are willing to say, oh, yeah, I, I can do 20 minutes on your podcast, but I could do whatever. or You know, I could do an interview like people, I, I you know, most people are inclined to say, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get. Mike Trout necessarily, <laughs> but, and I'm not telling myself, this seems my Mike Trout, but like, you might be surprised. And like you said, Jack, once you start doing it and you establish your podcast and you get guests, then it becomes easier to maybe go on like am sure you found, go to Big Link Club and say, hey, I'd like to try to do this. Here's my credentials. And they say, you're legit. And, and like you said, it builds a network and it, and it kind of snowballs. So don't be afraid to ask people to do, do stuff because I think people, like, you know, people who are starting off and be surprised at how many people will say yes. And they'd be happy to try it
0: out. Now, the approach is important because I've had some college kids reach out to me who want to connect or have me on their show or or whatever. And some have been great. And there have been other ones where I'm like, wow, a little demanding, huh? Little, uh, <laughs> you guys are, wow, interesting. So make sure you guys are respectful when you do that and polite and understanding of other people's time. Because, I mean, look, I'm not, again, I'm not some big deal or anything like that. But there was there, I, I don't want to share the examples of poor times, but I think just, just know that whenever someone's going on your show or you're interviewing them um, in this case, they're lending some time to you and they're busy. So make sure that your show that you're appreciative of that and not demanding of that.
1: Yeah. No, that's, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause I mean, I'd say probably 95% of people I deal with are like that. And every once in a while, I'll be, like, a little taken aback, like, demanding, like, like, somebody I don't know, like, like, I I know you, you, I know you, Jack, so it's different, like, somebody I don't know, like, hey, can you come on for an hour, and it's, like, an hour? Like, it's, (laughs) like, like, that's not really doable. Like, the the, the best, the best is I basically shut down a week before the draft because, like, our schedule's crazy. we got futures game going on, high school American game, home run derbies, a million things going on. And so I basically won't do any media except for maybe a couple of people I've done for twenty or thirty years, like the week of the draft. I'm just like, I can't. Like I, I I will go. I'm already going insane. And and yet I'll get like a call. I'll get calls like on Monday morning of day two of the draft. Like, hey, can you come on in 30 minutes? And it's like, no, like I'm about to go on the air. Or can you come on at eleven? It's like, well, I'm going to be on the air for six hours straight. So no, I'm not going to come on your radio show. Well people just don't realize. Um, but yeah well, most people are, are pretty cool about it. And I would say the other thing is like and jack you do i'm not just tubing your home but you, you do a good job of this and most people do be prepared don't get the gap. like there's every, every once in a while i'll be on a, a podcast or radio show and i'll be like these guys don't really know what they're talking about like and they haven't taken the time to like do any research and you can just tell you can tell by the quality of questions like pretty quick so like if you get guests whoever it is like do some homework be prepared but again, I'd say at least ninety-five percent of the people I deal with—it's what Ninety-nine percent like are like that. But like, it'll happen again this year. Like the week of the draft, all the people are like shocked that I can't like come on their show in like an hour. <laughs> like it's like I'm getting like twelve requests a day. Like I can't, I can't do that at this point.
0: But anyway. Well, the thing that's funny is, I mean, like, like for me with doing my show, I feel like I'm always prepared. Like I'm not. Well, like last night, I wasn't prepping any notes for this or anything like that. I'm just like. Oh yeah, I'm gonna talk to Jim tomorrow. But I'm always paying attention to this stuff, so it's just. Hey, we,
1: we've talked before too. Like we know right. each other, so it's different. But like it, again, like I still, uh, Jonathan always teases me all the time. I still always want to over-prepare. Like I, I'd because it's just it, it shows the quality of your work. Like if you it, like, and again, if 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 you don't prepare and you're winging it, like you um, might ask you ask the questions totally wrong. And then they're like, what are we doing here? So, But yeah, it, it doesn't happen to often. Every once in a while, I'll just be kind of like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I know what you mean. So I'm curious to know, Jim, have you ever, I mean, obviously you've put in a, in a, a, in a very impressive, amazing body of work with uh, prospects and you've done a really good job. There are several guys where I'm certain you could point to where I, you're like, I was high on this guy and other people weren't and he ended up turning into a star. Have any front offices ever contacted you and wanted to explore the idea of having you become a scout or work in a front office job? Not. It's been a while. Like, like early on, like a couple times,
1: but like at the time, like I had young kids, you know, my kids were born. I mean, they're, they're grown up now, but it was 95, 97, 99, 2001. And like I just wasn't interested in the track. Like it was more like finding out. And I was just like, ah, like I know how hard those guys work. Like if you're an aerial scout, you're on the road constantly. And when I had to, like the great thing is I've been working from home since I guess 1999 um or so. Like toward the end of my stats tenure, I was working from home some, and then I was full time at Baseball America. And so I've been working with, like my youngest daughter, who's now almost 22, I wasn't even born yet. But so at the time when I started working at home full-time for Baseball America, I guess we had, I, so I guess it was 2000. So I would have had five, from five-year-old, three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And so like I've been fortunate, especially now that they're grown up, like if they were ever doing something in school. I could go watch it, or somebody was sick and you'd go to the doctor. Like, it wasn't like I was in an office nine to five. And, like, if you were, like, say, an area scout, you'd be on the road constantly and you wouldn't see your family. So, like, it got, it was never like I was made a formal offer. It was, I had a couple, like, hey, you know, would you maybe be interested in this? And it just wasn't the time, per se. And now it would probably be tough financially. I have a pretty good job at MLB. It, It would probably be tough to do it. And, and, and also I'm getting old. So like, I don't know if, like, <laughs> if I had the energy to run around like a maniac all spring, like, Oh, that'd be in a lot of, I guess there's just got older than me. But like early on, I, I got sounded out a couple times, but it just, the, the timing wouldn't have been right. And like, I don't have any regrets because again, now that my kids are all grown up, like you don't get that time back. So, and it, it went by pretty quickly.
0: I mean, I think it's funny. Like I would much rather be a commentator than a person in a position where if your commentary is off or your analysis is off, you lose your job. Like there's
1: Yeah. That's fair. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily go into it with that fear. Cause like, you have to have confidence in yourself and you can do the job well. Right. But I do make the comment all the time, like especially now when I'm doing draft stuff, you know, about trying to line guys up or you know, project what are going on the draft, like if I'm wrong on a guy, it's not a four or five million dollar mistake. You know, it's yeah. not catastrophic. Like if it were me, like I mean, I probably would roll the dice to take Paul Steen's number one in the draft. I just Ooh. like he's best pitching prospect, like, so Steve Strasburg, he's the best ever. And and I just think he's even more rare than, say, Dylan Cruz. But if I'm wrong, and I'm paying Paul Steen's, say, 8 or $9 million, and I blow the pick, I haven't done damage to the Pirates franchise. So, like, I mean, I do try to be conscious of that. Like, I will say... Uh, there were some, some people in the, in the prospect draft media industry who are like masters of the hot take and, like, hey, I'm first, or hey, I'm, I'm going off the wall here. like, And I don't try to be that guy. I just try to report what I hear and what I see. You know, my, I parse through the information. Uh, like, and because of the fact, that, like, it's real easy to have a hot take because you're not paying the guy $8 million. And then if you're wrong, like you said, you're not killing the franchise and putting your job in jeopardy.
0: Yeah, 100% and I'm now well, um uh, curious cuz you mentioned Paul Skeens would be the guy you would go with with the number 1 pick. Uh now it's interesting because just a few months ago and I'll be I'll be quite honest. I mean, I I like college baseball. I watched a good amount that first few weeks of the season. Then I got out to spring training. You and I were both out there together and I mean, I was out there for 6 weeks. So I was pretty busy it came back and i just i've been so entrenched in major league baseball i have not followed this college baseball season as close as i normally do so i know coming into the season chase dolander was the number one projected pitcher uh and he was the guy that people were comparing to strasburg and or mark Pryor, or whomever uh, mark appell as a prospect or as a draft prospect i should say what what's changed? Because I know I see Dolander as now number nine on this list and Skeens is you would have him as number one.
1: Yeah, it's um you know, it's interesting. You know, it, so we had come in the year, we had Dolander. We did have Dolander. We were saying he was probably the best pitching prospect since Cole or Strasburg, yeah. but not necessarily their equal. And and he's had a weird year. Like he actually had a good start at the end of the regular season, struck out thirteen. But he's he's been inconsistent. And I, I saw a stat the other day where I think his ERA in the first inning was over ten. And after the first inning it's under two. Interesting. And he ten he's had a lot of, you know, four and two thirds, five inning outings where he'll have one bad inning. Um but pretty well. He hasn't been bad, but he was so good and so consistent last year. It just hasn't been that same level. Even in the regionals, he got knocked out in the fifth inning. And that was a game they went against Clemson, I think what fourteen innings on saturday they eventually prevailed um but he just hasn't been as consistent now i do think i do think whoever gets chased owner i still might take him like i hadn't gone ninth to the Rockies in my last mock draft we had him sixth on our top 200 our draft top 200 mlb pipeline John man i do i still think he's gonna go a little lower than that and be a really good i think he's gonna be a really good big league pitcher i just think he's been inconsistent tennessee's had kind of a tumultuous season after everything went right for him last year until he got to the super regionals. And not like Chase Doehner's stuff is way down or his command's way off. He's just been not quite as good. And I think maybe when he gets into pro ball, there might be more consistency. And it could be one of those things, if he goes ninth or tenth or wherever in the draft, that a couple of years from now, people will be like, how do he last that long in the draft? I mean, close things clearly should go ahead of him. But I still think Chase is the second best pitcher in the draft. Over, say, like Rhett Lowder at Wake, even though Rhett Lowder, I guess, could go ahead.
0: Okay. Yeah. And it's, it is important. I should mention that your mock draft here is the predictions of where you think these guys would go, not necessarily right. where you would. Uh, right. Yeah. Not where you would have them go. So, okay. That's interesting. So tell me a little bit more about, I think it's a, this is really a good time because, I mean, we're right in the college, uh, the college baseball national tournament has started. Uh, Division one tournament. And I mean, this is really, I think, an underrated event. I mean, this is, I'm, I, again, and I, this weekend, I, I watched some, I'm going to be watching more over the next couple weeks once we get to Omaha. Like, I'm more interested in this than the NBA finals personally, but I'm not a huge NBA fan. I'm with um, you 100%. <laughs> but <laughs> this is a great event and it doesn't get nearly the same amount of coverage as even say, like the women's basketball tournament, it doesn't get the same kind of hype, and I I really think it's a in an outstanding tournament. It's great, but I'm certain there are a lot of people who are listening who are baseball fans and they're interested over these next couple weeks of like who should be who should we be watching for what players what teams, uh, and I think this is a good time to to discuss some of that.
1: Yeah, there's um a lot of the best players in the country. Have advanced to
0: the super regional round. Like we're
1: recording this on Monday morning. This weekend was regionals. There's 16 different 14 regionals. You know, so two games first day. Then the winners play the next double elimination. Winners play the next day. And whoever loses that game has to play whoever won the match between two losers. And then if they can avenge their loss, like you have to win three more games. So anyway, there's a lot going on. So as, as we speak, I think there's six games today, that Regional regional's still up in the air. Ten of been decided. But a lot of the best guys have advanced. I mentioned Paul Skeens. Now, LSU, there's always weather that affects a couple of these regionals. So LSU won their first two games. If they win today, I've lost track of a race plan. If they win today, then they advance. And if they lose, they get a second chance. They're playing Oregon State. So Oregon yeah. State has to beat them twice today. So anyway, LSU, as we record this, is in a great position to advance. So they've got the top two prospects in the draft. And there's their best school that's produced the top two picks in a draft. There's twice we've had guys go one and three. It was Bob Forner and Jimmy Brooks back in nineteen seventy eight at Arizona State, and Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer in two thousand eleven UCLA. But Dylan Cruz is an outfielder, one of the best hitters in the country. Paul Schemes, who is the best pitching prospect in, in at least a decade, are both on LSU. So they're probably gonna be still playing next weekend in the super regionals. Wyatt Langford, Florida. I've already lost guys, there's so much going on. I think <laughs> Florida has to win,
0: and then I think they
1: have they're to beat playing Tech,
0: Tech twice today. They're playing Texas no, no, Tech. No, they think... beat Tech already. This is oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> then, then if they win, they're in the same situation as LSU. Or no, I'm sorry. This is the I've lost track. <laughs> if they if they beat them once yesterday. Right. They. I, I this, the weather's throwing me off. Florida. Florida had to come out of losers bracket. They beat Texas Tech once yesterday. They have to beat them again today. That's correct. So, if they, 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 yeah, I've lost track. If it, it's the weather throws me off because LSU is like a day behind. So, anyway, if Florida wins, Wyatt Langford. We have number three on our draft list. We'll advance. we mentioned mention Chase Dolan, or Tennessee's advanced. He'll be pitching next weekend. Wake Forest, which is number one team in the country. I mentioned Rhett Louder. He's one of the best college pitchers in the country. They're, they've already advanced to next week. Kyle Teal, it's a bad catch draft. Kyle Kiel, Virginia is by far the best catcher available on the college side. Probably he'll go in the top 10. Virginia's advanced, so he's available. Um, Miami, did Miami advanced already? I believe they did. Let's see.
0: Miami. I'm saying yes. I believe.
1: Am I right or did Texas? No, Texas advanced. Texas advanced. I, I got yeah, Miami.
0: yeah, Miami's out. Er, yeah, okay. Yeah. So,
1: um, so anyway, I'm losing track of who's available. Now, Hurston Waldrip's another one of the best college pitchers from Florida. They can be available. So it's, it's possible that the four college pitchers who are going to go in the first round are all going to be available um, in the Super Regionals. Brock Wilkin away Wake Forest is one of the best power hitters in the country. They've advanced. So a number of the top, you know, you're, there's – I haven't been counting, but there, there's probably, you know, 8, 10, 12 potential first-round
0: picks who
1: look like they'll be playing in Super Regionals or at least have a chance to play in Super Regionals as we record this.
0: Hey, speaking of Texas, I just thought of a, a guy who I know he I think he may have had Tommy John, or at least he had a serious injury. I think he's back. Tanner Witt. Is yeah. he pitching right now? How's he looked? He is. He um he did have Tommy John last year. I loved him in high school. He was one of my favorite high school prospects in
1: 2020. He wasn't signable. He got offered a lot of money, but he wanted to go to college, so he went up to Texas. And he did have Tommy John surgery last year. He made, I think, two stars. Came back late this year, was was rough early in a, when, he, when he first came. Because it's hey, a lot of times when you come back from Tommy John surgery, the stuff might be there. And his his he was all the way back the first time to took him out. But usually your command takes a little while to come back. You're not quite as sharp. But he's been getting progressively better. I mean, Miami touched him up for three runs and two innings. So he's only pitched 10 innings this year. He's given up 10 runs. He did pitch one against West Virginia, um, which I – think was last week of the regular season, a history shutout. But he's been kind of up and down, battling the control and command a little bit. But I still think he's going to go – like, he might be more of a, a supplemental first-round pick than a first-round pick. And if he gets rolling, then that's a bonus because, I mean, Texas – Texas got two pretty good starts this weekend out of Lucas Gordon, who's kind of a pitchability lefty. But LeBaron Johnson, who I think is probably more of a reliever in the long run, but he's been hot down the stretch – and if you got Tanner with, you know making some contributions, they could go pretty deep.
0: Also, speaking of Texas, shout-out to friend of the show, Dan O'Dowd. His son, Jack, plays second base for the Longhorns. So, yep. an eye out for him. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping Jack and, and Dan get to Omaha. So Yeah.
1: Are you going to go to Omaha this year? It's tough. Like, I haven't been since 2018. I mean, I absolutely wasn't one in 2020, and I've been – I think when I started working at Baseball in 1989, so from 1989 to 2019, I didn't go to every game. I, I did go to every game a lot of years, but I only missed – 2008 was the only year I missed. But since the pandemic, we've had the draft combine, which kind of overlaps with a lot of the College World Series. So I'm going to be in Phoenix for the draft combine for most oh, yeah. of the College World Series or the, the middle of it, and I'm kind of toying with the idea of maybe driving out like I would not be covering it, but maybe going to the finals. I'll be back in time for the finals, so we'll see. Are you going? Are you going to try to go? Or
0: yeah, if TCU goes, my sister and I are going. My sister graduated from TCU a couple years ago, and I've always wanted to go, but I've never worked out an arrangement to go with anybody or anything like that. But my sister's like TCU. If TCU goes to Omaha, we are going to Omaha. So uh, big game today against Arkansas after be blowing them out 20-5 to five yesterday. So I'm hoping the Frogs can pull through. And, that, and that's another weather-delayed one, right? Because I think they only have to win once. If they lose, yes. yeah. Arkansas would have to beat them a second time. Like That's a,
1: correct, yeah. Most of the regionals that didn't have weather, Arkansas and Baton Rouge were the team that did, if you're playing today, it's a winner take all. It means that the undefeated team lost to the team that came out of the loser's bracket yesterday, and then now there's a winner take all. The TCU only has, TCU gets two chances today to win one. I tell people, yeah, I think I told you this, like, Omaha is still my favorite event. Like people, it's just a magical event. You see a lot of teams playing very hard, a lot of good teams, a lot of future, I've seen so many future big leaguers over the years. See Omaha does a wonderful job with the event. Like when they find out you're from out of town, like they roll out the red carpet. It's, um. so I'm. I, I would like to go. It's just a matter of, kind of, like, how much energy I have left when I get back from the combine if I want to drive out. But, um, hey, I will say it's, I haven't been in the last couple of years. It's usually fairly easy to get tickets. Like, you're not, like, again, don't hold me to this, but, like, scalpers aren't getting, like, three times. It's not like a Taylor Swift ticket, Jack. Like, you can, <laughs> you can usually find people. Like, I, I know when my kids are younger, I think of various combinations of my kids out there. There was one year where I was out and we weren't able to get tickets in advance. A lot of times they have tickets available the, the morning of, like they have some seats because especially for the championship series, they don't want to sell the tickets. And then let's say LSU fans buy the tickets and LSU gets eliminated and then have empty seats. But anyway, I remember there's one year where somebody, I think somebody gave me tickets in the parking lot. Like I was with my kids and um, we were looking for tickets and they're like, is it for you? And I said, yeah, just me and my sons are going to the game. My sons were like, I don't know, 12 and 10 or something and they're like here just take them like i just want like so like family to enjoy them like and they just want to make sure i wasn't reselling them I'm like no like we're just going and like i don't think i've ever like had to pay scalpers prices if i bought tickets like in the parking lot so um yeah, I, I cannot say enough about them. and even my so i've got i've got two boys and two girls and my oldest son's a huge fan and i think we've talked i think your dad coached him in summer ball back in the day yeah um but my youngest son is not really that big of a fan of baseball per se, but he loves Omaha. He loves College World Series. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, I tell everybody it's a must-do event, and, and, like, it's pretty accessible. It's not like saying, hey, I want to go to the Super Bowl, you know, good luck finding tickets. And, you know, it, it's a ton of money. Like, Omaha is pretty affordable. So you definitely have to go. You should go even if TCA
0: doesn't go. So. I mean, I'll try to sell my sister on that, but I feel like she won't take off work to, to watch. But so there's, there's a
1: lot. The cool thing is there's so much to do in Omaha, too. They have like yeah. a world
0: class zoo.
1: Like, if you if like eating steak, you can't go wrong. Ooh. So there, there's, a, there's a lot going on there.
0: Yeah, it sounds great to me. The two baseball experiences that I've heard are like, you got to do this at some point, is Omaha and then also uh, Williamsport for the Little League World Series, I've heard, has, is also a great experience. I don't know if you I've remember.
1: never done that one. I've never done that one, but um, I do remember watching it more when my kids were younger. They liked watching it, and um, Williamsport was on a good show. So,
0: well, we've got a we've got a kid. He's actually Stephanie Lagrosa's nephew, Stephanie from Survivor. We had him on a podcast um, last uh, around November, and his he plays for Tom. Tom's River East Little League team which is a juggernaut. Dynasty, yeah. Yeah, so if he if he gets to the they if he gets to the Little League World Series this year, I'm uh, I might try out and go watch him play. It'd be fun. There you go.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what the ticket situation like at Lawrence Sport. I don't know what those go for. It can't
0: be I can't be horrible. I mean. But it's not a very big park, right? That's true. That's true. So I don't know. I don't know. It always looks jammed, so I'd be yeah. curious. <laughs> <laughs> Arrestus DeStrade <laughs> though, he's he's always said like it is Baseball in its, pure, its purest form. So I, I, I imagine Omaha is a similar type of feeling.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: So, okay. So obviously there's a lot going on. Uh, TCU, big game. I mean, yesterday they won 20-5. to five. So hopefully they saved enough runs to still use <laughs> the to at least be, beat Arkansas one more time out of these two tries. Um, another team that I was – one team I was disappointed in did not make the tournament is actually a team. I went and I saw it twice when I was out in Arizona. And that's the GCU antelopes with uh, Jacob Wilson, the shortstop son of Jack Wilson. Uh, and I see you have him falling to pick 15 in this mock draft.
1: Yeah. Although, I mean, when you do these mock drafts, there's always a guy, you know, is too low. And, and that guy's Jack Wilson. Like, I think I even wrote like, this is too low. Yeah. But, you like did. this is probably what, what, too low. Yeah, when you when you line guys up like like you can like you can mention like this guy's a, like I think he could go as high six. You can mention he's in consideration. <laughs> well, you do the mock draft. You can only put one name in each spot, and then if you have like oh this team might go off the floor a little bit and do something different, somebody winds up falling. Like I, I think he's still gonna go pretty good. Like I think like, that that's the floor, and I don't think he's really gonna get there. He's the best kind. He's tears are always led the nation and fewest strikeouts prep bat like and I didn't I don't have his numbers I think he struck out five times this year I think it was seven times last year um you know he, he's the, the best probably pure hitter in the country he's got big league bloodlines you know as the son of, of Jack Wilson who's an assistant coach at Grand Canyon this year Yeah, and like those guys like I, I do think bloodlines matter maybe in baseball more than any other sport because baseball is such a game of reps and you get so many, you know, like, I'm sure Jack Wilson's been hitting a batting cage since he was, like, five years old. Or, you know, Jacob Wilson's been hitting a batting cage since he was five years old. So, like, he's a very gifted hitter. And those guys are typically very – it takes enough time to acclimate to pro ball. They've been in clubhouses. They know what to expect. They understand the grind. They understand a lot of those guys can handle – you know, if you're playing 125 games in minor league season, you're not going to have 125 good games. And they kind of are prepared for that. Um – so he, he, if I had a bet, I bet he's probably more likely to go maybe 10 to the Marlins, but like, I just <laughs> run out of, like I didn't give him to the Marlins and then I did some other things, but he's, he's going to go pretty good. And we saw him in Arizona. We, we both thought he was great. Like he was just smoking line drives. every time up and see.
0: Yeah, he was, I mean, man, he was fun to watch. He's the only one of these first round picks I believe that I've seen in person uh, at least this year. I mean, if they're, the who's from uh okay, Braden Taylor from TCU. I, I yeah. probably saw him play a couple of years ago, but I w- he wasn't on my radar then. I went to TCU right. game then, so but Jacob Wilson, I went in, I'm like, okay, this kid could be a top 10 pick, and I saw him play, and he's just such a pure hitter, like a little bit of like a Michael Young kind of remind me a little bit of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be hit over power, but there's, there's some pop there. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, like when we put these guys under the microscope, Is he like your classic shortstop plus range and a plus arm, you know, maybe not, he's more kind of average to solid. So maybe he winds up moving to the other side of the bag, you know, when it gets to the big league level. But yeah, I I think that's a valid comparison.
0: Yeah. So, um, and then the, I'm going to, I want to ask you one more thing about GCU, Homer Bush, their center fielder. Where do you think he goes in this draft? What kind of prospect is he?
1: Yeah, he, um, you know, he's just another son of a big league. I think they have six sons of big leaguers. If I remember my wow. my broadcast prep from the beginning of the season at, at, at Grand Canyon. <laughs> but yeah, Homer Bush Jr. He, he, you know, I think he probably goes in the third round. And like, I think he's got a little bit of helium right now. I think he's moving up. He needs to get stronger. Is the biggest thing. Like he can run. He's really athletic. When I saw him in in Arizona at the MLB Desert or the Desert Invitational, I guess now it used to be MLB Four, at the tournament when they had a bunch of teams playing, um, he's still kind of very lengthy. He needs to get stronger and hit the ball with more authority, but he's really athletic. He can really run, and I I saw him against the University of San Diego, and he was running wild on the bases. And made a great catch in the outfield, just very very athletic.
0: Yeah, I was impressed when I saw him play in person as well. Uh, you mentioned that MLB draft combine. Do you think this draft, like what are your thoughts on this combine? Is it cause I I've heard mixed sort of things. Like some have said that it's really not something that's going to make a big difference when evaluating these players, like because you know, maybe they do some little drills and stuff like that, but I've heard the plus to it is it's an opportunity to just have them all in one place. So if you're interested in these players and your team, you can easily talk to any one of them you want. Yeah, I mean, you know,
1: I, I look at it like the on-field stuff for the vast majority of guys, I don't know that it moves the needle very much. Yeah. Um, one, a lot of top players, kind of like NFL combined, don't participate. Like if I know I'm going in the first round or I'm going to get a seven-figure bonus, I don't have anything to prove. A lot of the pitchers, honestly – a lot of high school pitchers haven't pitched in six weeks. They're not going to go throw at this because they aren't in peak form. Some of the college pitchers, like if you didn't, let's say you didn't make a regional or let's say you got knocked out in the regionals, you know, it's two weeks away. Like, like if I'm a college pitcher, I've made 14, 15, 16 starts. You've got my body of work. So if guys, if guys have had good springs, a lot of them don't do stuff. And then if they do, if you're, it's a pitcher, they're throwing a five minute bullpen. That's not necessarily going to move to the needle. If, if you've seen the guy a lot, a guy taking BP, you've seen a lot of these guys take BP or, or hidden game situations and you have video. So it's more like if you have a guy who was hurt or from a smaller college, like then the performance might matter more. But what you look to Jack is right. There is a lot the teams and the players get out of it. Like if you take a physical, like, like for years, teams weren't able to get players to take physical for the draft. But you need to offer them an incentive. Now they have a system where if you take the physical, you're guaranteed 75% of your assigned pick value. There, there's a bonus pool system in baseball. So, like, if you take a guy and he took a physical at the combine, you have to give him 75% of the money that was allotted for that tip, regardless of what his physical situation is, because you knew what it was beforehand. But I think they said last year, like, 75 or 80% of the people who went to the combine took physical. So that was a big plus. You mentioned the interview process. Like, a team's... Like you like you talk to players beyond combine too but this is a way you can get six, seven, eight people meeting with players for twenty minutes all at once. And you can, you know, like your GM can be there, your scouting director could be there, your assistant GM, you can get you know you get I mean it's twenty minutes, so it's not like you're getting the guy's whole life story, but you get a better feel from player one on one that's better than on Zoom. Um you know, I think another benefit like they do some athletic testing that some players do, like some you know, various drills and force plate stuff to measure, you know, power, and, and I'm doing a terrible job describing it, but, like, it's, it's athletic testing numbers that you wouldn't necessarily have information, so, so like, that, that information is valuable, like, for the players who provide that, and I kind of look at it, too, like, it's, it's a way you're promoting interest in the draft, you're maybe promoting some of these players who, you know, this isn't college football or basketball where these guys are as well known. And you know, and some of them are high school players too. But you're you're able to like, you know, kind of give these guys some exposure and promote the drafts. So I think that's a real positive too. Um, so like in a weird sort of way, like I said, I don't know if the on field stuff is a huge difference maker, but there are a lot of a lot of valuable things that come out of the process. Like I, everybody I've talked to on the team side, on the player side, this only the third combine really likes the interview process and getting to know each other and yeah. everybody like, like even like on the agent side and certainly on the team side people like the idea like and you don't have to do it but if you go to go to come and you do physical that eliminates the you know kumar rocker situation where the mets didn't have a physical you know people were doing pre-dressed physicals back then and he didn't have some picture physicals he declined to participate in and the Mets draft him, and then something pops up on the MRI, then you're trying to, like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, which you know, happen with Brady Aiken, who was the number one overall pick of the Astros in 2014. Like, he was the best player in draft, pitched for all season, and the Astros did a physical, and he didn't have a tear, but his, his elbow ligament was extremely thin, and the Astros didn't feel like it was going to hold up. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, what do we do here? They want him not signing him. I mean, it worked out for them in the end. They wound up getting a compensation pick. They turned it to Alex Bregman, so that was good for them. And Bregman literally blew out the next time he pitched in a game, uh, an actual game, and was never really the same again. So, like, it eliminates that. So there, there is a lot of good that comes out of the combine.
0: All right, another question I have about changes to the draft process. This is the first year with a draft lottery. Your thoughts on the lottery? Do you like it?
1: Um. It's fine. I, I don't. I, I think it creates some interest in the draft, which I think is a good thing. I, I don't. I don't know. Like, like one of the reasons it was created, I believe, was like this notion that okay, teams are tanking for a higher draft pitch. Well, I don't know that it really disin. Like, I, I think that's overblown. To one, like the extent the teams are like just totally going to tank. But two, I don't know that it really disincentivizes it because even if I'm like. Not win the lottery and get the number one pick. The worst, like, if you agree with the notion that teams are tanking or, or not trying to win to get a better draft pick, I, I still have a higher odds of getting a better draft pick if I have a bad record. Like, I might not get it, but I still have greater yeah. odds. So, if you buy into the notion that teams are tanking to get draft position, this doesn't really change it. it. It means that they might not get as high a pick as they would have if it was just based strictly on record but doesn't really disincentivize that. And the interesting thing, and I, I, I got to get this right in my head. If you, I think you can only pick, you can only, the lottery's the first six picks. You can only pick in the top six, and it might even be the top 10. If you're a revenue, if you're not a revenue sharing team that gets revenue sharing money, you can only pick in the top, if you're six or 10, and again, I got to look at this, I've to look through this graph, one year in a row. So like, if, if, um, the Rangers are having a good season, but like the Rangers picked fourth this year. Let's say the Rangers had another bad year. I don't think they could pick in the top ten this year. Like I'm sorry, in 2024. I mean if you're a revenue revenue sharing recipient, you can only pick, I think you can only win the be in the lottery if you have the first six picks or first ten picks for two years in a row. So I think in some ways like we'll see how that plays out because I do think one of the unintended consequences when they went to the bonus pool system 2012 is previously they, they had some recommendations. The Teams could spend what they wanted on the draft, but three quarters of the teams kind of went along with the recommendations. But two of the most aggressive teams were the Pirates and the Royals, and they you know be paying guys two million dollars in the third round, and and you know investing fifteen million dollars in the draft when team, a lot of teams were investing half of that. And they build up their swarm systems. And the Pirates won the wild card three years in a row. And the Royals won a World Series and a pennant, two pennants. But when they changed the system, then all of a sudden you had a bonus pool that you're pretty much locked in. If you go over 5%, you start losing draft picks. Nobody nobody wants to lose your first round draft picks. And so you were locked in. And so all of a sudden, the Pirates have success and they get a $4.5 million bonus pool. Now, the bonus pools have gone up, but like it restricted what the small revenue clubs could do in the draft. Like, they can't compete with the Yankees for free agents, but they can outspend the Yankees in the draft. And now you're kind of stuck. You're based on your record. And I do think, I do wonder, it's a bit hard for those teams to compete, that if, if this restriction on how often you can pick in the top six, top ten picks, if you have a small revenue team that isn't necessarily just like, oh, we're trying to lose, but it's going to take them time to rebuild because they can't just go out and spend, spend, spend. Like, they might go from a team that would have had a top five draft pick to not being able to pick that high. I'm not sure that's great for the smaller revenue clubs, if if that makes sense.
0: No, I I agree with you totally. And I'm glad you mentioned the narrative about tanking because I say this all the time. I hate the word tanking as it relates to baseball because I think very rarely are teams intentionally, actively trying to lose games. And most of the time, like I'll give an example. I was saying this the other day to someone. The Cubs won the World Series through rebuilding, not tanking, rebuilding. Right because really they only had 3 guys that they drafted um at least the Theo Epstein regime drafted that were impact players on that World Series championship team Chris Bryant, Albert Almora Jr., and Kyle Schwarber. Everybody else they got was either someone that they signed but or in the what they really how they really built assembled that team was through trades of yes. selling off pieces trading Andrew Kashner for Anthony Rizzo, trading Jeff Samarja and getting Addison Russell in that trade. That was how they did that. So the goal wasn't let's let's lose as many games so we can get as many high draft picks as we can. It was let's take the pieces we have at the major league level and accumulate as much minor league uh, young talent out of this as we can. So the end goal wasn't we're going to we're not. We're trying to lose. It was. This is a product of how we're disassembling this team so that we can build something for the future. And I think it's a. I think it's a great way to go about rebuilding and and making it so you can not compete.
1: Yeah. No. I think that's fair. And it's just it's,
0: it's tough because
1: if you and I'm not using the Cubs again. but let's say you have a team that you know isn't ready to win. You're you're a couple of years away. It's like one of the things the Cubs did, and it was It didn't work out. They gave Edwin Jackson like a four year contract, and like, there's no point in getting second or third-tier agents, second or third-tier free agents, if you're a couple of years away from winning, just to, like, be more respectable. So, yeah. again, I, I, don't, I don't think in a lot of cases, teams are necessarily saying, okay, we're going to try to lose as many games as possible. But it also doesn't make that much sense to go out and sign...
0: Yeah, like, Jameson uh, Tyone.
1: A, yeah, like a guy for 15 or $20 million a year for three years or whatever... So you can win seventy games instead of sixty-seven games, or seventy-eight right. games instead of seventy-five, um, and then but then think, and then you get like okay, the payroll's not high, so they're not trying to win. Like like it's kind of a catch twenty-two. Like you're not there's there's no way you can incentivize a team that's going to be sub five hundred. Like like they have more playoff teams. I guess that makes it open more teams. But like if your team's not going to contend, you. I mean, and again, I don't. And like one thing, I also think nobody ever discusses really. The players, it's their livelihood. So even if you're on a team where, you know, like, like it's the movie Major League and they're, they're, they're not investing in the team, the players still want to do well. It's not like like they said, like the player like if the players don't perform, their careers might get, you know, you might get released or you're not going to get paid in the free agency or you're not going to get a raise in arbitration. Like, like, like even if you were trying to tank, the, the players aren't trying to tank. Like they, they, they get nothing out of not winning. They, they don't look at it that way. Like so, they aren't giving up that batch. and say, "Here, hit some home runs off of this, so we can have a high draft pick." It just doesn't work that way. So I, I do feel, I do feel like the whole tanking narrative gets
0: overblown. Yeah, I told Rhett Bollinger this two weeks ago on this show. I've got an idea to stop tanking in pro sports, or at least make this thing better. So the idea is highest the draft order is determined by most wins after playoff elimination. So in theory, Oakland A's are going to be eliminated from the playoffs before everybody else because they're the worst team. They're also going to have the chance to win the most games after that. So that would be kind of the way of like, hey, like you get closer to the deadline. Maybe the A's want to pick up a couple players if they want to get that number one overall pick or in, in what you're kind of talking about picking up some of those mid-level free agents.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That would be, I, I know, it's funny. I read that thing. Like, I think the athletic was talking about with the NHL draft. Like, like somebody suggested that's the NHL draft. I was like, that is kind of, kind of interesting. I, I think the nurse suggesting it would be interesting. Not necessarily give them the number one pick, but what if you gave, like you get to say the number five, the number five pick goes to the non-clayoff team that wins the most games. Mm. Um, you know, to give you, know, like, if you, if you just miss, like, like, you know, to give an incentive to teams that are good. Yeah, I've seen people suggest having some kind of tournament for the number one pick or something. Like, I don't know how that would work out um, type of thing. But, um, but, yeah, and I mean, it, you, you could do various things. But again, like I said, like, even though the number, the worst team doesn't necessarily get the number one pick now, the worst team still has the, you know, the more three teams have the highest odds of getting the number one pick. So, if, you, if tanking is a thing, teams are still incentivized to lose, to get the potential number one overall pick.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we've got a couple more minutes here. I would like to know before we go, one prospect or a couple that is, like from the last couple of years, a guy who has impressed, exceeded expectations for you. you are like, wow, me and a lot of other people, we did not see this guy coming. Do you have any, anyone come to mind?
1: Yeah, the, the first guy that comes to mind is Evan Carter of the Rangers. Yeah, the, the pandemic draft was a weird draft in 2020. And, and I like to prime myself. So like we do usually the first day of the draft is one or two rounds. Second day is rounds three through ten. And then all that's televised. Second day is usually mostly online, but it's all televised. And I usually like to prime myself. The way we split up the country, Jonathan and I, we have, and I, we have half the country. It's like, I mean, we might not have a guy ranked. But I usually don't get stumped before, like, the fifth round, like, before somebody drafts, like, maybe a Juco guy I haven't heard of. And even then, like, in the fifth round, I'm like, man, like, I like to try to get five or six rounds. And and I mean, so kind draft was obviously an odd year because everything shut down pretty quickly. And so at MLB Network on the first day was Big it was, it was a weird. We did all five rounds that, that year, one night, because it was a shortened draft. But anyway, MLB Network always prepares for many more players than are possibly going to be ticked on the air. You know, many more players than there are ticks. And the only time they really tell us who's getting ticked in advance because they want us to react naturally is if they aren't prepared for that. So second round, rangers take Evan Carter, like right we before they ticked him, producer gets in everybody's ear. I was actually in the same room. There was no travel during- and I was broadcasting from my office where I am now. And um they're like, who has Evan Carter? And I remember thinking, in my head, I told Johnson this. Like, that's oh, got to be one of Johnson's guys. I don't know who Evan Carter is. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't say that to the producer. And I was like, I was like, I don't know who that is. And I was like, where's he from? And he and they said, oh, Elizabeth's in Tennessee. And I was like, what? Because Tennessee's one of the states. And I had, like, even though the high school season in Tennessee barely played, I had, like, I probably had 10 or 12 high school guys in Tennessee on my radar. And I'm like, what like second round this guy like who is this guy and uh, i actually interviewed him for spring training i told this story too and we were chuckling but uh and nobody knew who he was on our broadcast and he was he was a guy who hadn't done a lot of showcases elizabeth is a very small town i think it's in the northeast part of tennessee like and so like guys don't get out there a whole lot scout wise and they would have in a normal year i think like eventually but they hadn't because it got shut down so quick. And it turned out the Rangers had a player development staffer who loved Elizabeth they didn't know about him. And so they scouted him and they loved him. And they took him in the second round. And um and, and so he sent a tool. He was going to Duke. Like so they took him in the second round because they're gonna have to give a pretty good bonus. And I know like he was at, like people were doing various things during the pandemic because you didn't really have access and I think he went to some local facility there were some college pitchers there throwing the low nineties and he was squaring them up pretty good. And the Rangers just bought in. Great makeup, great kid. And um anyway, he's now one of the, he's number nine on our top 100 prospects list three years later. Like literally nobody knew who this guy was so in twenty twenty one we started playing. He had a, a, a back injury that year so he didn't play a whole lot. But like like once in the season gosh like this guy's a pro I I think Jack, I think he's got the best batting eye in the Myers. I think he can tell that ball's like an inch off the plate. That's a ball. Um it just—he's unbelievable. Like he, like he strikes zone judgment, and he's a potential five-tool center fielder. I think there's going to be more power there. And it was funny—I—I I, told this story a bunch on on our own podcast. But I interviewed him in spring training. and I was talking to him about how like how strange was the draft for you. your second-round pick, which is pretty cool. And then like on the broadcast, everybody's reaction is we don't know who this guy is. Like, like I, I was—I texted some scouts, and some of the scouts are. I texted. I knew in Tennessee, we were like, I'm not on that guy. I don't. I don't get that one. A crazy pick. I had. I had like one guy who, who liked him a little bit and gave me some information. And I texted the Rangers too, and they were giving some information. But I asked Evan. I was like, you know, what was that like? Like, it's kind of weird. Like, this is pretty cool. your second round pick, and everybody's like, who is this guy? And he's like, yeah. I mean, he's like, you know, it's supposed to be the best day of your life, and like, nobody like is kind of a weird day. And then, and then he caught Selfie. Like, he had it like briefly. He's like, he got married this December. He's like my wedding was the best day of my life. That was the second best day of my life. And I just chuckled the way he did. He had such this earnest expression where he caught himself and he had to explain the wedding was the best day of his life. <laughs> the draft was only the second. Like I that that made me like him. Well, it made him even that much more endearing. But now he's he's really really good. So he'd be he'd be the one that I did not see coming draft wise at all. And he's even been better than I thought. Even even when we got good reviews of him when he starts playing pro ball in twenty one. Uh-huh. He's gotten even better and better since
0: then. All right. And I'm also curious to know, how about a guy, and you can go further back on this, but I'm certain there has to be at least one or two guys that you were really high on, whether it be in the draft or in the minor leagues, that seemingly no one else believed in, and they turned out to be stars.
1: Um they, I mean... There's various guys. I mean, I've been wrong a lot too. I mean, I think back to Johnson Papelbon. Like, I, I thought he had a chance to be pretty good. I, I remember there was a time it was a good prospect. but there was a Mariners fan site. And I don't know if you remember Jeremy Reed, who um, I think White Sox. He was a White Sox draft pick. I think they traded him for Freddie Garcia. And Jeremy Reed had a great year in the minors, and there was talk that the Red Sox were going to trade for Jeremy Reed, and the rumors. The I don't know this crazy rumor, or maybe it was this fan site was like John Lester and Jonathan Papelbon. It wasn't a good trade for the Mariners. But the guys, from the Mariners fan side was just like down on both guys. Like this would be a terrible trade. But I just remember I was on I was on Papelbon kind of early. There's there's a guy right now. He's just getting started. That scouts tipped me off to when he was in high school kid named Jacob Mizorowski in the Brewers system. And pandemic draft year didn't get to touch that year. to pandemic, and he'd been hurt on the showcase for with hamstring injury, so he didn't pitch. But I had a couple scouts who're like, look, man, this guy's like he's raw. Like like the arm's really good. This guy could be. So we had him in like I don't know. Number 180 on our draft top 200 in the pandemic. Year. He didn't get great. So he goes to junior college and then he cares him and and in this first start. So he doesn't pitch in junior. So three years, like, doesn't get seen in the showcase circuit 19, doesn't pitch in 20, gets pandemic, barely pitches in 21. And last year, um beginning of the year, he wasn't throwing a lot of strikes. And junior colleges are hard to scout because there area guys who are bouncing all over. So I know some guys who weren't on him. But um, I had a couple scouts who were really on him. And he, he wound up, he was throwing like 101 at the combine with crazy spin rights, nasty slider. And if you look, like, he's averaging, like, two strikeouts an inning right now in in A-ball. And he has a chance to be really, really good. So I feel like, and again, I'll credit the scouts. It wasn't like I discovered him, like scouts told me. But Jacob Miserossi is kind of my current guy that, like, he's off to a great start, and I'm hoping it it keeps up. But, like, that was one I know we were on him before anybody else was. again, I was fortunate I talked to the scouts who were on him. But, uh but he's one that like nobody was on. I'm sure there's some others that I was I was high on. I, it's kind of fun finding out guys that aren't getting a lot of hype and then watching them become pretty good players.
0: Very cool. So I'll I'll have him on my radar. I'll be keeping an eye on him. He's Jim Callis. He does a lot of stuff. He's got a podcast. Uh, he's also on social media. He just put out his, uh, or MLB.com just put out their updated top 100 prospect rankings and the top 30 prospects in each farm system. Uh, And then he's doing a lot of mock draft stuff. Um, And then, uh, Jim, I want to, oh, and you're sometimes on Road to Wrigley on uh, Marquee Network.
1: He's
0: he's got like 10 different projects going on. So why don't you (laughs) give us a little rundown of what you're working on and how people can follow along or what they should be checking out from you.
1: Yeah, I mean, so so most of work works at
0: MLBPipeline.com, part MLB.com. And like I I think one of the great things about
1: our site is everything's free. You know, nothing's behind a paywall. So, like, we just updated our draft list to 200. We're going to expand it to 250 by the end of the month. And we've got scouting reports. We've got scouting grades, We've got video. It's all free. None of it's behind a paywall. Just like you mentioned, our top 100 minor league prospects, which we just updated, our top 30 list for every farm system. All that's out there. You can read all the reports. It's all out there. The drafts trying the majority of my work right now. Um, I'm going to the draft combine, I guess, in two weeks. Uh, and I fly out on the 19th. Um, the draft is July 9th. The futures game is coming up. It's like a crazy weekend. Um, so that's kind of main focus right now. Um, but yeah, you can check us out at MLBpipeline.com. I usually try to link to everything that I do and a lot of the stuff we do with Pipeline at my, my Twitter account, which is Jim Callis MLB and about every two weeks you mentioned we just did one i guess i've lost track of when the last one was i guess it was last week on wednesday maybe but we have a, like road Wrigley, wrigley was this kind of cool thing we do at the marquee network with the cubs where at least and lance brzkowski and i sit down and we watch usually four minor league games going on at once and just talk about all the prospects in the Cubs deep system and i think our next one of those is june 16th and sadly i have to miss the next two because i'm gonna be at the combine in the draft before I get back to the swing of things. But, but those are a load of fun. I'm glad you brought that up. Just to sit there and talk about prospects for two hours while we watch them live. Like the last one we did, Kate Horton, is a, a prospect I'm a big fan of. So he struck out, I think, nine and five innings while we were doing it live. And it, was, it was kind of fun. So I keep him pretty busy this time of year. Then it slows down a little bit in August when we get past all this stuff.
0: Hopefully. And Jim, I, I don't mean this. I, I mean, I'm not saying this just because you're here. I'm not tooting your horn or anything like that, but the Road to Wrigley show is the show on marquee that I'm like I gotta watch this show. That show just sticks out to me as something that's really excellent. Um, with you and Elise, and Elise has been on this show before, and Elise is one of the very best. I mean, she knows hitting mechanics like better than anybody, and she's so humble about how about all of it too. Um, and then Lance, Lance will probably be on this show at some point, too. Lance is bursting with energy and enthusiasm. Like, that's just a guy who absolutely loves what he does. And he's extremely knowledgeable as well. So you guys do an excellent job on that. Thanks. If you're living in this market and you have access to Marquee, because we're in Chicago, and I'm sure we got plenty of Chicago listeners, check it out, especially because this Cubs season isn't that interesting, in my opinion. It's more interesting to see what's going on in the minor leagues.
1: Yeah, they have some guys coming. In here, you know, I think Mike Dorne is a producer came up with the idea. And if I know there's some technical stuff involved, like I'm still amazed that more teams aren't doing this. Especially like if let's say I'm not, I'm, pirates, you know, parts Pir- are having a better year this year, but I mean, they're probably not going to contend. Most of their best players are in the minor leagues, they were terrible last year, which is you know how they got the number one overall pick. Like why more teams, especially if you like if if your big league team isn't going well, like why you wouldn't want to have or even, like, like the Yankees or the Red Sox, which have their own networks, and there's interest in their prospects. It's such an easy show to do. I mean, yeah. like you said, I think we're fortunate that, like, Elise is really good, and she has to be the traffic cop who's so making sense of what's going on in four <laughs> games at once. And Lance... Like you said, I, I've used the same way describing Jack. He's got a ton of energy, and he really likes to come at it from the data perspective, and I kind of come at it from the tools perspective, and we agree on a lot of stuff anyway, but, like, we all kind of have, like, a slightly different perspective how yeah. we're coming at and we have fun with it. Um, and, you know, so maybe I'm – I know I'm probably underrating the technical aspect of it, and maybe it's not always easy to find at a lease and at a lance to, to be able to do that, but, like, I don't understand why more – Markets aren't doing the same thing because it's it's a blast and we get a lot of feedback from fans and, and maybe part of it is the Cubs play a lot of day games, so that you know make it it's a natural after they play a day game, which is what happens the most time we do it. But yeah, that that, that show is, is a lot of fun. I really
0: enjoy doing that. I mean, I think everybody plays one day game. I mean, ob- other than Sunday, obviously, maybe you don't want to have it on mm-hmm. Sunday because then you're running opposite Sunday baseball, but. I mean, like, there's typically a getaway day on a Wednesday or Thursday that someone plays day game on. So I think, I mean, Dodgers. I mean, I would love to see, like, a, I mean, again, I don't have the Dodgers TV network, but I mean, they've got such an awesome farm system, so that would be fun to to do. Yeah no, exactly. show. Yeah, yeah.
1: no. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you could. You it would be. You could definitely. You could definitely do that. But like, who knows? Maybe we'll see. More. Like, again, I know there's some technical aspects to producing it um, that are beyond me. So, like, it's not just a case of, hey, well, I will say part of it is all four of the Cubs minor league affiliates are on MILB TV. They're, they're all broadcast. And not every team is like that. Although, if you had three, like, like, the last time we did one, I think Iowa had a makeup game. So, they played during the day. Um, it was, like, from a rainout or something. Um, so, we only had three games live. You could do it with three. But, but that's part of the aspect, too. Um, but yeah, that, that that show is, is a lot of fun. Like we're doing, I think 12 of them during the regular season. We're doing like a couple every month. It seems like two or three every month. I think it's 12 after we did like maybe three last year, we started doing them toward the end of the season, but it's, I, I do have a blast doing that, doing that show. And that's one we we're talking in the beginning about doing prep. I always feel like, like, especially now, like I maybe mean, that's not my full-time job. I've got the draft going on. I had to do a mock draft. The last time we did the show, I had to do a mock draft that night too. It was like an insane amount of work, but, um most like, oh man, I wish I had like another hour to prep. And then the show goes by and it's like, oh, we just did two hours? How'd that happen? <laughs> every every time, like I look up and we're like 10 minutes from being done with the show. It's like,
0: okay. I guess we're- it's a fun yeah. vibe because it's got a little bit of a feeling of like you guys are kind of sitting down at a sports bar with all these TVs going on and talking. But obviously, it's, it's not just as simple as that. It's much more professional and all you guys are adding something. I like how you said each of you bring something different to the table. Because like, for instance... You've got Elise, who is one of the best female reporters, hosts, broadcasters, analysts in all of sports, a uh, rising star. She's going to end up, you know, become an even bigger star over time. Um, but then like with you and Lance, it's kind of, so you got her. And then Lance is kind of like, he's a different generation than you. So he's like my generation. So he's kind of like the, the, the young guy who's pumped up. And then you're the guy who's been doing it. You're the veteran who's. The Godfather. So it's a, it's <laughs> we, a good
1: we play well together. And like like he's got data on the players, so he'll he'll talk about pitching. Like you know, it's, it's not just three people kind of all coming at us from the same perspective. Like you yeah. said, I mean, Elise will break down like hitting a lot. You know, she's a Cornell softball Hall of Famer. Um,
0: and she uh, one down. year, by the way, she batted three ninety nine. Just missed out on batting ah. five hundred. Yeah, so I call yeah, her. So I, she, call her thir- I call her Miss Third. I call her Miss Three Ninety Nine. There you
1: go. There you go. But, uh, but yeah. So anyway, like we, we do have a lot of fun. There was one where I think she was she had a friend getting married one night. So Lance, it is not easy being the traffic cop. Lance shifted over to her side of the desk and ran the whole thing, and then we had Ryan Sweeney kind of pinch hit and came in. But yeah, now that that shows a lot of fun. Like I said, I'm sad because I I'm try like I'm at the combine for the for one of the one, upcoming ones. And then I'm traveling out to the draft, like on the night, they're doing the next one. So I'm going to miss back-to-back ones, which will will make you sad. So
0: so check him out. He's at Jim Callis, MLB. Jim, thank you so much for coming on. We'll do it again at some point and we'll talk some Survivor in, in, on a future episode. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeff. It's a great, great pleasure. All right, y'all. That concludes today's conversation with... Jim Callis. A lot of fun talking today. MLB draft stuff, college baseball, prospects. He's your guy. Make sure you guys go check out his work at Jim Callis MLB on Twitter. Uh, We'll probably have him back at some point, but he's a busy guy for the time being. Uh, But I'm sure we'll talk to him again sometime. Uh, Very grateful that he was able to come on. uh, and He's become a mentor of mine, a great guy. I've learned a lot from him. Um, and I'm excited for these uh, for the college baseball tournament. We're not far from College World Series in a couple of weeks, so I'm hoping that the Horn Frogs can pull through, so that I can get out there. Uh, should be should be a good tournament, good time. Lots of big games on today. We'll be back later this week. My next episode is not going to be sports. It will be former Survivor contestant Brooke Struck Stevens. Brooke competed on the 11th season of Survivor, Survivor Guatemala. I'm certain that we'll talk plenty about her time on the show, share some behind-the-scenes, never-before-heard information. I don't know if she's even ever been on a podcast before. Um, and then we'll also talk some faith, because I know Brooke is a very strong Christian. We had a good time talking faith last week with Manny Randowa. Um, And we'll be back again next week with another baseball episode. Guest to be announced. Until our ne- oh, and you guys, by the way, before I sign off, follow me on social media at Jack Vita Show. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit subscribe, hit that like button, um, and turn on notifications so that you can get more episodes of this show. Lately, we've been running into some problems with Facebook. I've been in contact with them for whatever reason. People have not been seeing my posts and The last couple of times I've tried to upload a video, it hasn't allowed me to do so, Um, but we're working on that. But since we're struggling with Facebook and and that's our number one source of traffic, um, please subscribe. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube, so that way you don't miss out on this show. As it is right now, I think a lot of you guys are listening via social media and that's great, but if the social media stuff gets, if people aren't seeing it, as is the case with Facebook, then a lot of people aren't able to tune into the show. So make sure you guys please subscribe, share it with a friend. Um, and until our next episode I'm Jack Vita, bring in the dancing lobsters.